The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. This morning I'd like to go to Matthew chapter 25. We have spent some time going through the Kingdom of Heaven parables in the Gospel of Matthew. And the last of these Kingdom of Heaven parables that we have in Matthew's Gospel is here in Matthew chapter 25. That is the parable of the talents. The parable of the talents. And we'd like to consider this parable today with the thought in mind of stewardship stewardship and using what we have been entrusted with to the honor and to the glory of God with a understanding, with a reminder that there will come a time, as it is with any steward, a fiduciary, someone who is entrusted with something, well, obviously there's a time where you take an account of their stewardship. Um, we are going to talk about talents, and that's a financial, a monetary value. You give um, it... I think the Lord used this monetary example because it's very easy to understand, especially in the sense of a return on his investment. God expects a return on his investment. We're going to see that. What he gives us, he expects us to grow and to prosper and not just to, to stuff it in the ground as we see the unprofitable servant. But we need to be reminded of what we've been entrusted with. There will come a time where that stewardship is inspected. And we certainly hope that we can uh, have confidence when we do that. It says um, in Timothy's uh, epistle, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, right? We don't, we don't want to be ashamed when the Lord inspects it. Instead, we want to, uh, by the grace of God and by his strength, we want to do a good job at the best of our ability. And and uh, not ever with any pride, because we don't have anything to, to really show before the Lord. But we want to not be afraid of him inspecting what we've been entrusted with. Okay, So the parable of the talents here, I wanted to remind you <clears throat> of kind of where we're at. It's been a little bit since we've been in these kingdom of heaven parables. Here in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus has delivered the Olivet Discourse, which is prophetic of first of all, the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, and then secondarily, prophetic, very similar situations, very similar environment that will be leading up to the second coming of the Lord. And you remember, there are three parables that he gives here. The first of is also talking about servants and stewards that uh, the Lord entrusted something to his servant, and they responded in two different ways. That's at the, at the conclusion of Matthew chapter 24. And what he's saying there is similar to the parable of the talents, that God has given us something, and he has went away. He has went up to heaven, and he is waiting for his second coming. And the context is in the second coming. But I want you to understand, though, is there are other... Uh, days of visitation. Uh, there are other days of inspection, if you'll let me put it like that, other than just his second coming. Now, we need to be certainly mindful of the fact that Jesus could come back at any time, right? And we never want to be ashamed when he comes back the second time. But when we use this language, we, we talked about the uh, parable of the ten virgins. We have the foolish virgins, and they make a poor decision. They're not, they're not vigilant. They don't um, have their oil prepared, and because of that, he comes in a time, the, the bridegroom comes in a time they weren't expecting, and because of that, they miss out on fellowship with him in the house. Now, this is not talking about heaven and hell. It's not talking about uh, they weren't vigilant to keep their lamps burning and God's going to cast them in hell. No, uh, they're talking about virgins. Jesus introduces these people as virgins, which describes... Purity. He's not describing the non-elect, the unregenerate non-elect, as, as virgins, right? Uh, the same way with the talents. There's going to be uh, one man that has five talents. He he's, uses it well, and well done, thou good and faithful servant. He gets five more, and he has 
10 at the end of it, right? He has two at the beginning, and then he, uh, the second servant has two, and then he gets two more, and he has four, but one hides it in the earth, and he's not happy with him. And he uses language of this unprofitable servant being uh, cast into outer darkness into weeping and gnashing of teeth. So that, that's language that gets us a little nervous, right? But that's not talking about hell, because remember, this is a Lord that gave somebody a talent of stewardship. Do you think the Lord is giving a talent to the unregenerate to be a steward of? Well, no, that doesn't make any sense, right? The Lord's not going to give something to the unregenerate to be a steward of it, okay? So this is talking about children of God, right? So we need to be vigilant. We need to be watchful, have in mind that the second coming of the Lord could come at any moment. <clears throat> and we always want to be vigilant of that to not be caught unawares. And, you know, the immediate context of this is the second coming of the Lord. Because right after the parable of the talents, it goes immediately into verse 31 through the end of the chapter in verse 46. It goes immediately into Jesus Christ coming back in his glory with the angels and separating the sheep from the goats at the end of time. And we know that story well, right? <clears throat> he identifies the sheep by what they did in helping others, and he identifies the goats by what they did not do. So that's talking about immediately after the parable of the talents goes, transitions immediately into the second coming of the Lord and him separating the sheep and the goats. So the primary application here is definitely the second coming of the Lord. But if you think about this, or if you think about it like I have, um, I don't know how all that's going to work, right? I mean, Jesus is going to come back in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, and immediately eternity is going to be ushered in. And I guess, I mean, it happens so quickly. Um, we don't want to be in a position in our life that when Jesus comes back, and he can come back at any moment, right? Uh, we don't want to be in a position where we're drunk in the middle of a bar when he comes back, right? We don't, we don't want to do that. But from what I understand of Scripture, it's going to all happen so fast <laughs> that there's a period of shame, I guess, right? That there's a period when Jesus comes back that I may be a little ashamed, but it's not like that's going to feel like three hours or something. It, it seems like it's going to be so fast that there's a period where you would be ashamed, but immediately we're going to be glorified because it's going to happen that fast, right? So the lesson here is discussing the second coming of the Lord. And I, I do believe that when he comes back, if we are doing something inappropriate, there would be a period of shame, but I don't really know how long it would be, right? Do you understand what I'm saying? It happens so fast that I don't really know how much condemnation and judgment there is that he's describing in some of these parables. So I think maybe the more immediate consideration of the parable of the talents is not solely the second coming of the Lord. There are times in all of our life where the Lord comes to inspect our life, right? He comes to test it. He comes to try it. And it's not just about on our deathbed, and it's not just about at the second coming of the Lord. It's when the Lord comes to inspect what he has entrusted to us, what's he going to find? What's he going to find? And that's kind of a sobering question, right? It's a sobering question for me. And it might be for you, too. I want to look at a couple days of visitation <clears throat> that are not solely talking about the second coming of the Lord. Because like I said, there may be a period of time, a very brief, in my mind, seconds, milliseconds of shame um, at the second coming of the Lord if we're doing something we ought not be doing. But what's more concerning is living a life of condemnation, right? Because we're not using what the Lord has given us in the manner that we ought to as faithful stewards. <clears throat> I want to get this language from Luke chapter 19 and 
Jesus is entered into Jerusalem the last week. Now, he's been in Jerusalem a couple different times, but this is the last entry into Jerusalem. And Jesus uses language here. We won't get the whole context. We're just going to jump in here in Luke chapter 19 and verse 44. And shall lay thee even with the ground, which is talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, and thy children within thee, and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. Okay? You were not aware of the timing of your visitation. All these Old Testament prophecies, they were talking about Jesus. There's many of them that describe him coming to the temple, him, him coming suddenly to the temple. You want to talk about uh, having an account of your stewardship. What happened when the Son of God came to inspect the stewardship of the Jews of his temple? What did he find? What did he find? He found men making merchandise and it, twice he did it early on and he did it during this last week too he threw out the money changers so he came to inspect the Jews had been given the temple right? the Jews had been given the law they knew what they were supposed to be doing with it what happened when he came to inspect what the Jews were doing with what he'd given them they had corrupted it right? they had made his house a, a house of merchandise instead of a house of prayer and he got rid of it he purged it out because when he came to inspect and to visit, it was found wanting. It was, it was not appropriate. Um, but we never know. We never know when the Lord might see fit to visit us. I think one of the most uh, clear examples of this is back in Genesis chapter 18 when Abraham is having a regular day there on the plains of Mamre, and then three men show up who give the appearance of men. Now we find out, because of his interactions with Sarah there, one of those men knew the thoughts and the intents, and the, in this case, the laughter of Sarah's heart, right? And then we find out a little bit later, two of them are angels who go into Sodom, and the third stays, and we find out that it's Jehovah God, okay? So on, <laughs> on a regular day, right around lunchtime, Three men show up, and lo and behold, one of them's God and two of them are angels. <laughs> now, how would you receive the Lord if he came to your house for lunch? Now, if you had advance notice, you know, um, you'd probably clean up a lot, you know, make sure you put the Bible out that's been in the, uh, in the closet, you know, that, that don't know where it's been. Let's make sure I put it in the uh, middle of the table, right? Um, but probably the more sobering question is that the Lord's not going to give you advance notice. He, he didn't tell Abraham that he was coming. And furthermore, he did not know until after he'd interacted with him that it was the Lord. So how will you receive the Lord if, he, if the Lord happened to come to your house for lunch? How would you receive it? There's a good chance you would receive him the same way you do everybody else, right? <laughs> Because the Lord's probably not going to blow a trumpet and let you know about it. Uh, it says in uh, Hebrews chapter 13, Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, because some of you have entertained uh, angels unawares. You know, that's what happened in Genesis chapter 18, right? Uh, those, those just appear to be regular men. Now, we find out a little bit later they have these, these powerful angelic powers, you know, especially there in Sodom to blind the men and do some other things there in Sodom. But how, if it just so happens that the Lord sends some angels to your house, how are you going to receive them? You know, he's not going to blow a trumpet, um, most likely. And let, let me add the caveat that the way that the Lord interacts today, I don't want to use the word subtle, but it is uh, much more ordinary, not as miraculous, not as powerful as it is in the Old Testament, right? Jesus uh, and God appears very powerfully in the Old Testament with the focus in the Old Testament being on Jehovah God. And then the 
focus being on Jesus Christ during his ministry, but now the Lord moves by the Holy Spirit, which is typically a still, small voice. So in the Old Testament, when an angel appeared, if you think about that, when an angel appeared, people were usually falling down because they were very bright. It was very evident that this person was an angel, right? Well, I mean, I guess some people may see angels in that way. Um, I hate to say it, but my nature is I'm usually a little skeptical when people say they've seen these powerful displays of angels because I think the main way that angels appear nowadays is not with, with a, a white shining light and a powerful sword. No, it's angels unawares, right? I think that's the main way that angels show up. Um, Bethany was telling me a while back about some, I'm going to get the story wrong, but maybe I'll get the point, uh, that there was uh, some wreck that they had or some vehicular issue that this guy was running, just randomly running, and then he shows up and helps them out, and then he just goes away, you know? And they've kind of wondered in times past, you know, I wonder if that was an angel. You know, we didn't get his name. He just like showed up out of, we don't know where he came from. He just kind of showed up out of nowhere and helped us out of this bad situation. And then he just went away, you know. Uh, I would say if that was an angel, that's how the Lord typically sends his angels nowadays, right? If we see them, we don't always see them. But I don't think that most of the time angels are going to be, like David saw that, that judgment angel standing over the city with the sword drawn. I don't think most people are going to see that nowadays. So my point is that how are you going to receive that angel unawares? You're probably going to treat them the same way you would treat any visitor that would show up to your house for lunch, right? Just, just like Abraham did. So, um, which is kind of surprising. If you knew, uh, that, that's the language he uses there of the Jews. You did not know the day of your visit. Now, you should have known because Jesus was performing all these miracles that declares that I am God, that I am the Son of God. You should have had some awareness that you should have changed your actions when I showed up in the temple. You should have been, you should have been aware of it. But you weren't aware of it, so guess what? You treated it just like any other day. And what happened when God showed up just like it was any other day? Well... He, he realized there in the temple there's some things that need to be thrown out, okay? So the days of our visitation, when the Lord comes to inspect his, uh, his investment, his stu our stewardship of his investment, what's he going to find? What's he going to find? Because he's not going to blow a trumpet. <laughs> um, you know, I've, I'm back in the auditing world now. Uh, I was uh, did some auditing for about uh, five years, took a break, and now I'm back back in that realm. And, you know, everyone always had their P's and their Q's together when they knew that this was audit week, right? Because we announced that we were coming, you know. Now, part of being a good auditor is uh, you make unexpected visits, right? Because everybody has all their stuff together when they know you're coming. But every now and then you want to pop in. And when you pop in, they're like, oh, then that's when they start shoving stuff, you know, under, under the desk and everything, you know, because they weren't prepared for it. And the Lord is not going to necessarily announce, okay, <laughs> it's quarterly review time, right? Uh, I'm going to be showing up on this day at this time. Uh, so have your annual report together for everything you've done in the last year. No, the, the point is in the context of the second coming, we don't know when the Lord's going to come back. And in the context of this stewardship, we don't necessarily know when the Lord is going to come and inspect what he's entrusted to us, right? So we need to be faithful stewards that we're not ashamed when he shows up at any time. Because many times he will show up. <clears throat> Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. <clears throat> In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, <clears throat> actually before we go there, you can keep your finger there. It'd probably be good to read the actual parable we're talking about. So, so uh, let's go to Matthew 25. Okay, let's go to Matthew 25, and let's read the parable of the talents. Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country, 
who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To every man according to his several ability. Remember that. He gave to every man according to his ability. And straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that had received two also gained two other talents. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. And after a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought the other five talents saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. And his Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. And he also, that had received two talents, came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. And behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. And his Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Then he which had received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strawed. I was afraid and went and hid thy talent in the earth, and lo, there thou hast that is thine. So he delivers back to him. He didn't lose the talent. I want you to understand that. It's not like the, the prodigal son where he got his inheritance and he wasted it, okay? He, didn't, he did not lose the talent. He just simply didn't do anything with what he'd been given. Okay, He didn't lose it. That would have been more shameful. But he didn't do anything with what God had given him. And for some reason, he thought that it would be okay with... And if you think about this, okay? Let's think about, just in a financial sense, a return on investment. It says this man's gone for a long time. Um... They make a 100% return on their investment. And just to give you an understanding or a ballpark of um, this is not necessarily just a couple dollars. A talent is a pretty significant amount of money. So just to have a conversion rates change all the time. But just to give you a ballpark, we could easily say that five talents is worth about $7,500, two talents, 3000 and one talent being about $1,500. So one talent equals $1,500. So this is not chump change, right? This is anyone's going to want, if I give somebody $7,500, I want to make sure that you're using it well. And under the normal course of investment, you're not going to make a 100% return in like six months, okay? Uh, we're going to look at another parable in Luke chapter 19 that's a very similar story, except that he did not give different allocations. Here he gave five, two, and one. But in Luke chapter 19, he gave everybody the same thing, which is a very important lesson, too, that we want to get to. Okay? But he gave everybody one pound. He gave everybody the same thing. And, and there, one person takes that one uh, pound he got, and he got 10 more talents. So that's a 1,000% return. And I will tell you just, we're not talking in a spiritual sense, we're talking in a natural sense. Uh, if anybody starts promising you a 100% return or 1,000% return, it's probably a Ponzi scheme, okay? So, so don't believe it. <laughs> don't, don't invest in it, okay? But um, for, for someone to have enough time to make a 100% investment, he probably wouldn't go on for two weeks, okay? That's the point. I want you to understand. So if you give somebody... I mean, to me, $1,500 is a pretty good chunk of change, you know. So if I give somebody $1,500, and let's say I'm gone for 20 years, you know, I give it to you, I trust you to take care of it. In 20 years' time, 
you can make a 100% investment, a 100% return on that investment if you make good, wise decisions. Probably not going to get the, to that level in six months, but over 20 years, you should get something, right? So how happy would you be with your investment advisor if for some reason you haven't had communication with your investment advisor who, who's been hanging on to your $1,500 uh, for 20 years and you show up and say, yeah, guess what? I got the exact same 1500 bucks that you gave me 20 years ago. <laughs> How many of you are going to be happy with that? I'm not, right? I'm going to fire him and I, you, don't, you don't know who I'm going to uh, get rid of my investment with him and you want to know who I'm going to give my investment to? The guy who I gave my 7500 bucks to and now all of a sudden he's got 15000 right? Why? Because he was faithful with what he... None of us would be happy, right? If we gave somebody $1,500 and 20 years later, they're proud of the fact that they're giving you the exact same. He said, look, at a minimum, you should have given it to the bank, and at least I could have got, uh, you know, $1,500 plus .02 interest, you know? At least I could have got $1,650 back. You know? At a minimum, you should have done that. But for some reason, this, uh, this servant... And, you know, this is the condemnation of the, of the Lord, you know. Um, this is how seriously he takes it. You know, he thought probably that he wasn't necessarily doing anything wrong. But the Lord's opinion was that, verse 26, thou wicked and slothful servant. I mean, we could see him being lazy, right? But wicked, thou wicked and slothful servant, Thou knewest. Uh, yeah, let me go ahead and talk about this. So, um, I think that this man is making excuses, okay? When he says here that I knew that thou art a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not strawed, I was afraid and I went and hid in the earth. Um, number one, he's blaming the Lord for being the reason why he made the decision that he made. And I don't think this is, because this is talking about Jesus in context, right? And he's saying that you're a hard man and you're kind of dishonest because you think that you should reap where you have it sown. Well, that doesn't apply, right? That, that doesn't apply to Jesus. So I think he's just hurling accusations at him. I, I think he's just making, and people, <laughs> if you call somebody on account and they haven't done a good job, do people ever blame someone else, right? Or maybe blame you. <laughs> that sounds about right. That sounds about like totally depraved people, you know, that we interact with. Uh, they're the ones who's being wicked and slothful, and for some reason they're blaming you for it, right? Um, but I think what, what the Lord is answering here, I don't think he's acknowledging the fact that he's dishonest in his um, business dealings. I think he's saying that even if you thought that was true, he's answering a fool according to his folly, I guess is one way to put it. Even if you thought this was true, then at a minimum you should have given it to the bank. I don't think he's acknowledging that I am a hard and austere man and I'm kind of dishonest in my business dealings. He's saying even if you thought that, thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gathered where I have not strawed. Again, I think he's answering a fool according to his folly. <clears throat> thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming, I should have received mine own with usury, which is interest. So at a minimum, even if you thought that I was this austere, which I wasn't, then you should have at least put it in the CD and got a couple, a little bit of interest where I wouldn't have got back exactly what I gave to you, okay? Take, therefore, the talent from him and give it to him that has the ten talents, okay? So somebody did not use what they've been given, and the Lord says, I'm going to take it away from the person who has proven to not be a faithful steward, and I'm going to give it to someone who has more. Why? Why? Because the Lord expects a return on his investment. Okay? For unto every one that hath shall be given, 
And he shall have abundance, but from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. Cast ye the unprofitable servant into, into outer darkness, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know, some of these kingdom of heaven parables use this hell-type language. Because you know what? Think about Jonah. Jonah made a decision to not be a faithful steward and to do the opposite of what God called him to do. And he cried out from, in physical location, the belly of the whale. But in his experience, he cried out from the belly of hell. Why? Why? Because he was living in rebellion to God's word. He was not being a faithful steward to, to follow the command that had been given him. So what I want you to understand is this is not talking about heaven and eternal heaven and hell, okay? This is talking about when the Lord comes to inspect his vineyard. You know, we kind of have that picture in the Song of Solomon, don't we? Um, the Lord's church is described as a vineyard, and there are people who are husbandmen, sharecroppers that are uh, that are hired to take care of that vineyard. But what happens when Solomon comes once a year to look at his vineyard? Well, if that vineyard is run down, you know, it's evident that no one has mowed the grass in a year. It's evident that no one has pruned back the hedge. Is the owner of the vineyard going to be happy if he shows up and it's very evident that there's total neglect? You know what he's going to do? He's going to fire the person, the husbandman that's over the vineyard, and he's going to hire somebody else, right? Because any of us, if we hire someone to take care of our vineyard, we expect that vineyard to be prosperous. Now, obviously, if we're talking about agriculture, it's not uh, always 100% guarantee that you're going to have a fruitful crop, even if you do the right things. But the point is, though, it's pretty evident if there's neglect or if, hey, this was just a bad year, Right? But, any, but the Lord has given us his vineyard, and when he comes to inspect his vineyard, guess what? He expects fruit from his vineyard. How about that? John chapter 15. I am the vine. Let me turn over there and read that. John chapter 15. I am the vine, true vine, and you are the branches. If you abide in me, you'll bring forth fruit. If you abide not in me, well, if you don't bite in him, you're not going to bring forth fruit, right? Well, what does the Lord do if you don't bring forth fruit? He says, I'm going to cut you off. I'm going to cut you off. Why? Because he expects fruit from his vineyard. Now, that's not talking about eternal. That's talking about a temporal judgment. Now, verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it will be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. Right? So what does the Lord expect from his vineyard? He expects fruit. I mean, the reason why a, a vine is a vine is to produce fruit. I mean, it's not there to just take up space. It's there to produce fruit. And God's glorified when we bring forth fruit. So what happens when the owner of the vineyard comes to inspect the vine? Well, guess what? He expects there to be fruit on the vine, Right? He expects us to have used what we have been given to grow and to abound and to prosper. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he's discussing the growth of the church and using the vineyard, husbandman, husbandry analogy. And we're totally dependent upon the Lord for any increase, and he's the one who gets all the glory for it. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 6, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. We all have these different roles, and I served my role well, Apollos served his role well, but ultimately it's the Lord who gets the glory for it and the Lord who gets the credit for it. But he says, you are laborers, verse 9, you are laborers together with God. You are God's husbandry. Verse 11, for so now he changes from the agricultural lesson 
Now he's speaking of a architectural lesson or a building or a structure for other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And if any man build upon this foundation, the foundation of Jesus Christ, now understand, this is primarily talking about the ministry. It's primarily talking about the ministry. But the ministry is in many ways an example and a pattern for the rest of the church. Okay? So it's certainly true of a pastor and a ministry that there will come a time where his ministry, his work, what he has built upon the foundation of Christ will be tested by fire. Okay? But I want you to understand, this is not only talking about the testing of the ministry. God tests all of his children by fire. And we don't necessarily know when those fires are going to come. We don't know when our day of visitation is going to come. We don't know when the Lord will come to inspect his vineyard. So we need to be aware that he could show up at any moment, right? The surprise inspection. For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones. Now those are the things that are going to endure, right? Those are the things that are going to be purified in the midst of fire. But the other end of the spectrum is wood, hay, and stubble. What's going to happen when wood, hay, and stubble get in contact with fire? Well, it's just going to be burned up, right? Why? Because the, the wrong things were built upon the foundation. But they weren't su- sustainable. They weren't substantial. They were just there to take up space. Every man's work shall be made manifest. And that's true of the ministry. But it's true of every single child of God. Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. And as I said, that's true of the ministry, but that says every man. It will try every man's work. If any man's work abide in the fire, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. And if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, so yet as by fire. So this gives you a good indication that this is talking about a temporal judgment, right? You know, his life's work, so to say, will be burnt up, but he himself will be saved. It's not talking about he's going to lose his eternal life. And... It's a sad thing to say, but I've been in the church long enough that I have seen men in the ministry. I've seen men in uh, the rank and file members of the church where when the time came that their ministry was put to the test by fire, it proved to be wood, hay, and stubble. And, and it destroyed their families. It destroyed their churches. And I can only imagine the type of internal conviction and condemnation that they must have when they see that I was not faithful with what I had been given. And when the Lord tested it, it got burnt up instead of being purified. Now, as he continues on here into the fourth chapter. Now, remember, he just talked about every man's work is going to be tried. Every woman's work is going to be tried. It's going to be tested. And there will be a proof of the substantial nature of what they have done with what I've been given. It will either prove to be wood, hay, and stubble, or it will prove to be gold that is purified in the fire. You see, those are metals that are purified in fire, but the others are just consumed. So right in the aftermath of that, he says in chapter 4 and verse 1, Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Now this is, again, the immediate context is the ministry. But it applies to every single child of God too. Because 
I have been specially entrusted. I mean, much is given, much is required. I have been specially entrusted as a steward of the mysteries of God. But guess what? You have been entrusted as a steward of the mysteries of God too. Because do you know how few children of God truly understand that salvation is by grace alone, not by any work of man at all? You don't know how few children of God understand that? Very small, a very small remnant. And by God's providence and by God's grace, you have been allowed to hear and to understand and to believe something that the majority of God's children will either never know about or never accept. So you have been entrusted with the gospel in the same way that I've been entrusted with the gospel. Now, I have a special calling, and to whom much is given, much is required, and I I have to carry that out. But you have been entrusted with the gospel of salvation by grace. And I, and I have to ask myself every day, what am I doing with it? But you need to ask yourself that same question too. What am I doing with the mystery of the gospel that I have been given? Because so many children of God are walking around with a yoke of bondage around their neck thinking if I make a mistake, I'm going to go to hell. And you have the ability to lift that yoke of bondage off of their neck. To whom much is given, much is required. And how blessed are we that we have been given so much to know salvation by grace alone. But we go back to the same phrase, to whom much is given, much is required. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. It's about faithfulness. You know, I had this on my mind a lot the last probably year, year and a half. And there's a phrase that's pretty common in Christianity and other places that God doesn't necessarily call us to be successful. He calls us to be faithful. That's a good thought, but um, I don't really like the wording of that because that describes it as being a, a binary answer. It's like an either or. You can either be successful or faithful. But I would say that success is faithfulness okay success is faithfulness you know because the only thing if I'm called let's go back to what he said in chapter 3 if I'm called to plant or if I'm called to water at the end of the day I don't have total control over the increase because God gives the increase right the only thing I control can control is I want to be the very best planter I can be and I want to be the very, very best waterer I can be and you know what? If I do that, you want to know what the Lord will typically do? He will honor that and he'll give increase. But, you know, I'm not the one that can give increase. I don't have the ability to do that. The only thing I can control, uh, I love John Wooden. There for a minute when I thought I wanted to be a basketball coach. I loved John Wooden with, you know, 11 championships in UCLA, his pyramid of success. And I can't get the quote just right, but I have his pyramid of success in my office and just great lessons for life, certainly for sports and basketball. But his quote on success, I'm not going to get it just right, but his, his point of success was, is success is the self-satisfaction of knowing, the ver knowing you've done the very best that you can with what you've been given. That's success, you see. I can't control the, all of the outcomes. I can only control right here with what's put in front of me today with what I've been given. I'm going to do the very best with what I've been given. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to trust the Lord to multiply that if he sees fit according to his will. And he gives the increase. Okay? My, the only thing I can control is being a good steward. Is doing the very best with what I've been given. And that's just being, that's just being faithful. Right? It's just being a faithful steward. And I love this verse right here. I've taken so much comfort in this the last seven years in the ministry. You know, you can't make everybody happy. Do you know that? Do you know that? Uh, if you want to just take, I mean, I hope we can learn some stuff about stewardship, okay? But you need to know that if you are constantly consumed by the, the opinions of others on you, you will never be happy. Because... There will always, it doesn't matter what you do, there will always be someone who is not happy with the decision that you make. Always. 
So at the end of the day, how can you have the best internal answer of a good conscience with the decisions that we make? It's understanding that ultimately as a steward, I answer to one person. I answer to one person. And I take a lot of comfort in this verse. I, you don't ignore other people. You don't, you're not purposefully rude. You want to be kind and you want to be respectful. And you don't totally ignore it. But I count it with me a very small thing to be judged of you. I don't say that in a prideful way. But I can't let my decisions be dictated by the opinion of someone else other than the Lord. Okay? And I'm not going to say that I totally ignore what you have to say. I want to listen to it. And if there's something that I can do better, I want to make that adjustment. But at the end of the day, I don't totally ignore it. But at the end of the day, it's a very small thing to be judged of you. It's a very small thing to be judged of you. Because I know, verse 4, I know nothing of myself, yet am I not hereby justified. But he that judgeth me is the Lord. You know, he's the only one that can determine if I've been faithful with what he's given me. Because he's the one who's going to evaluate it. He's the one who's going to test it. And at the end of the day, it says multiple places throughout the New Testament. And I have a note on my phone that I try to read regularly. And the title of it is God Pleasers, Not Man Pleasers. And this is one of the top verses at the very top of it. And with me, it is a very small thing. That's in all bold in my note. And there's multiple places in the New Testament where it says that if we seek to please men, then we, then we cease to be the servants and the pleasers of God. Okay? He's the one that inspects our discipleship and our stewardship. And guess what? If you do things the right way, other people will take note of that, right? I mean, if a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. <clears throat> Let's go to Luke chapter 19 very quickly. <clears throat> kind of a similar account of stewardship, but it's distinct and it's different because um, we don't have time to read the whole parable, but uh, similar lesson, a nobleman went into a far country and he gave 10 servants one pound each, okay? He gave 10 servants one pound each. And he's gone for a long period of time and it highlights, he didn't say anything about the other seven, but it highlights three different people and what they did with what they've been given. So, one, all of them, and I want you to understand, all of them were given the same thing. Okay? There's a sense in which, from the parable of the talents, that God gives to men severally as he will according to their ability. But you want to know what that ability really means, I think? It means not necessarily you have an innate great talent or ability. Your ability has been proven by your faithfulness in past stewardship. Okay? I mean, if you want to think about it, any of us would make this decision. If I give you, if I want to return on my investment and I give all of you one, I give you all the same thing. I give you all one pound and somebody comes back with 10 more pounds, well, you want to know, you know what I'm going to do the next time? I'm not going to give everybody the same. I'm going to give extra to the guy who got me a big return, right? I mean, that's just, that's just common sense. So when it says, you know, I've heard people say, oh, he's a five-talent preacher. He's a two-talent preacher. Oh, he's a one-talent preacher. You don't know what that is. That's just pride in the ministry is all that is that we need to repent of. But I think that most of them are not necessarily a five-talent preacher. It's just that they have used with what they have been given and get, you know what the Lord does? You know, we think... Okay, let's get to the end of the story, okay? <laughs> uh, because what happens here is the guy who doesn't use, uh, who doesn't use the, one towel, the one pound here faithfully, then God gives it, he takes it away from him, and he gives it to the guy who already has 10. 
and the people don't, they're, they're murmuring against the, first of all, the Lord has the right to do with his own what he, what he sees fit and what he will, okay? But I want you to notice how they're, they're like, oh, wait a minute, that's not fair. Hold on. You're taking away from somebody who only has one, and you're going to give it to the guy who has ten? <laughs> Yeah, you want to know why? Because the guy who has 10 got me a 1,000% return on my investment. Any of you would do the same thing, right? I mean, I'm not going to keep, I mean, I'm not saying don't give somebody a second shot, you know? <laughs> but, you know, maybe give them a second shot, but I'm not obligated to give them the fourth, fifth, and the seventh shot. I mean, like, if I keep giving somebody one talent and you hide it in the ground, you don't do anything with it, I'm not obligated to keep giving you the same thing. Any of us would make the same decision, right? So what happens is he gives, he gives one man, it gives them all the same thing. One of them gets 10 pounds in return. Another person gets five and another person doesn't do anything, okay? Well, he takes it away from the guy and gives it to that one who has 10 and everybody's like, oh, that's not fair, <laughs> You want to know how most likely the different allocations of the five, two, and one happened? Is because the guy who took the same as everybody else and went and got a thousand percent return. Next go around, let me see here. Five, two, and seven, that equates to eight. The next time I have eight, I'm not going to give one to everybody. I'm going to give five, two, and one, right? I'm going to give five eighths of what I have to the guy who's proven to be my best steward. You see? And we would look at that and be like, that's not fair. <laughs> yes, it's fair. I believe in capital. The Bible teaches capitalism, by the way. <laughs> if you don't believe it, look at this. I mean, he believes in honoring hard work. He, he believes in honoring faithful stewardship because he expects a return on his investment, okay? But the, one of the points I want to take away from Luke 19 is that what he does this is so similar to Joseph, right? You remember, the, remember Joseph in the Old Testament? That everywhere he was at, he was so faithful with everything. Next thing, well, you give him like a year and he's running everything. I mean, everywhere he went. Potiphar's house, the jail, even all of Egypt. Why? Because Potiphar didn't just give Joseph the keys to the whole house on day one. You want to know what he did? He gave him a small task that he went above and beyond. He gave him another task he went above and beyond. Then he kept giving more and more and more. And by the end of it, Potiphar didn't even know anything that was going on except for, I got food in front of me three times a day. I, he put that much trust in a Hebrew slave. <laughs> you want to know why? Because everything that Joseph did went above and beyond, and he proved himself faithful. And what you understand, it's not, he's using money to teach the lesson. But he's not saying if you're faithful with... Now, I think that's true in a financial sense, too. If you use the finances that God has given you in a prudent way, typically, the Lord will bless you to some degree. That doesn't mean your salary is going to double, but he's not going to allow you to starve if you use... Now, we, we were kind of hating a few weeks ago on the people with the bass boat. You know, mm -hmm. If you waste 30 grand on a bass boat you know, for a hobby then the Lord may not be as inclined to bless you with that promotion to give you an extra 30 grand if you're going to waste it on this frivolous stuff, right? But you want to know what you do if you use that 30 grand to be like, you know what? My family members need such and such. My, my church needs this. My, my church members need help in this area. That's a person that, you know what? They're going to use what I give them faithfully. And you know what? I might bless them when that next promotion comes around because I know that 10% raise, they're not going to be like, all right, now I can finally get that blah, blah, blah that I've been waiting on. No, I can use it in a way that can benefit others, okay? But similar to Joseph, what happens here is that he gives him one pound, he gives him 10 pounds in return, but he doesn't necessarily give him more money, okay? What he says here in verse 17, well done, thou good servant. Because thou hast been faithful in very little, have thou authority over 10 cities. So what I want you to see there is it's not that if I have this much money and 
I choose, I haven't been given to the church, but now I choose to give to the church. That means that 10% that I gave the church, I'm going to get a 10% raise. No, many times, if you, choose, if you prove yourself faithful in finances, he may not give you more finances always. Many times he will, but he may not always give you more in finances. What he's going to give you is more authority. You see? If you prove yourself faithful in any of these areas, then what he's going to give you is more things to be faithful with. Now, finances are included in that, but if you're faithful with the little thing that he's given you, he will give you more authority and more influence in the kingdom to be faithful with more stuff. You see? Because you've proven yourself to be faithful. Okay, let's go back to Matthew 25 and wrap this up. So, the man had five talents according to his ability. And there's a lot to be said about spiritual gifts. And God gives all of us unique spiritual gifts. And we need to use those in a way that benefits the body as a whole and benefits the kingdom as a whole. And I don't know how all this works, but I do know that if you allow your spiritual gift to sit dormant for 20 years, don't expect the Lord to bless you abundantly in that. I don't know if he takes it away. I don't know if he just lets it be dormant and then if you repent, he'll revive it. I tend to think he probably would. But don't expect that if you ignore a spiritual gift for 20 years, he may take away that spiritual gift or something else and give it to someone who's being more faithful. That's why this is so important, okay? So the man has five talents. When it comes to reckoning time, he says, there's five more talents. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Now understand, just like we talked about people's ministry and lives being burned up, there's so, so much condemnation in that, so much shame. They may, they, they may not, but they should be walking around in shame for everything that they have done that, have, that has brought destruction on every area of their life. The opposite of that, though, is if you're faithful and the Lord inspects it, it's not as much, it will have an external application, it will have an external manifestation. But what's more important is having that communion with the Lord and that answer of a good conscience to where I know at the end of the day, every now and then, it doesn't happen very often, but there's been a couple times where I feel like the Lord has kind of just affirmed in my heart well done, thou good and faithful servant. It hadn't happened too much because I haven't been as faithful as I ought to have been. But if you've ever felt that, if you've ever felt that confirmation of the Lord in your heart, I had an opportunity to do this. I chose to do this. I chose to put the kingdom first, and the Lord said, I'm honoring that. And if you feel, we don't have time to go to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, but it describes the Lord answering a man in the joy of his heart. And if you've had that joy in your heart, he says, enter into the joy of my Lord. It doesn't mean if you're faithful, that's how you get to heaven. But you are walking in the joy of the Lord every day because the Lord is honored with what you've done with what you've been given, you see? And we want to be faithful when he comes to inspect our stewardship. And then unfortunately, the other end of the spectrum is that the wicked and the slothful servant, right? He's just lazy. He's just lazy. And he doesn't want to put the work in to get a return. And he ends up in judgment. To use the language in 1 Corinthians 3, his work is burned up. His work is burned up. And there's much shame in that. To whom much is given, much is required. And we've been given so much, right? We've been given so much in so many different areas. And we think about that globally. We think about it in the church and the gospel and the kingdom and all this. But also, think about how much we've been given in our individual lives. Our individual spiritual gifts. Our individual jobs. Our individual... Look at all that stuff we've been given in the individual sense. And in every one of those areas, how are we using what the Lord has given us to grow and to prosper the kingdom. Because the Lord's not going to be happy for you to give him, you know, I've been a member of the church 50 years. Okay, well, what have you done with the investment? 
Lord, here's the exact same thing back you gave me 50 years ago. No, no. He expects a return on his investment. And he will bless those that are faithful with what he has given them. And that's what success is. Success is faithful stewardship. It's us using what God has given us by his grace, by his mercy, by his strength, using what God has given us to the best of our ability. And we don't ever want to be ashamed when he comes to inspect our stewardship, right? To inspect our vineyard. And we certainly pray that God will bless us to to be faithful and to enter and to live in the joy of our Lord. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.